Well, good morning, everyone. I just want to echo what I said about the football team. Um, a lot of the people who came to watch, a lot of the officials that had come along and uh, others that were there said they've never seen such um, support coming to support the team. And they were just so impressed uh, by the love and the uh, faithfulness of people who came along to watch and support and cheer. And so, so well done, guys. Well done, the team, but also well done, Jubilee, as well. Uh, we're carrying on our series in the book of Matthew, Matthew's account of uh, particular parts of Jesus' life. And so we're going through, we've been going through what seems like a long time before Christmas, I think we started, and we're going to certainly be going through for most of the year. Um, but we're kind of about halfway through, I think, uh, and we're in Matthew chapter 15 from verse 29, if you've got a Bible with you. But if you haven't, don't worry, the words will be on the screen, but we're going to start from Matthew 15 verse 29 if you do have a Bible. And so this morning we're looking at three different accounts of Jesus with others. Um, and, the, and so therefore I've got three things for us this morning. Three things to, us look, to look at this morning and they all begin with F. Uh, so we're going to get into it and go through them as we go. So if you've got a Bible then please let's, let's look from Matthew 15, 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I've got compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Well, well, we'll stop there and we'll read the other part in a minute. So we've got three things this morning, beginning with F. And the first one is this, feeding. Feeding, not too much of a surprise. But here we've got Jesus miraculously feeding Many more people than 4,000. 4,000 men besides women and children. You might be thinking, do you know what? I, I, I think I've read this before. Hang on, have, have I not read this before? Because if you were here a few weeks ago, you might be thinking, no, we have already done that in Matthew's gospel. Um, because, you know, we read about the feeding of the 5,000. Is Matthew just like one of these people that repeats stories a lot? Do you know, we all know someone like that, don't we? that just repeats stories, and you kind of are thinking, I've heard this story. Maybe you're that person 
that repeats stories quite a lot, and you're getting a little nudge at the moment. We all know someone like that. Yes, Matthew has already talked about a miraculous feeding of thousands of people, but he's talked about a very separate occasion. He's talked about 5,000 people being fed in another place. It is a separate occasion. This is a second time, and there's reasons for you know why we know it's a second time, um, but we're going to go into some of those. But one thing we know for sure is that this is a crisis moment again. You know, we might read it and think, well, perhaps they were just a bit, a little bit hungry. You know, we all get a bit hungry sometimes, don't we? And perhaps they were just a little bit hungry. No, no, Matt, Jesus is saying they've been with me three days. If they don't get fed. Uh, here, now, they're not going to be able to get anything on the way home. They may collapse, they may be attacked, they may die. This is a crisis moment. And Jesus sees that. It says, I have compassion on them. I have compassion on them. Jesus, Jesus sees their situation. Do you know what? Jesus sees your situation today. He sees my situation today. And he has compassion on you and me. He does. He doesn't. Listen, Jesus doesn't want you and I to go away hungry today. He wants us to be well satisfied, spiritually fed this morning. I'm not talking about donuts. I'm not talking about lovely cake, as wonderful as that is. He wants us to be spiritually satisfied this morning and go away being fed by him. Anyway, that's not the main reason. The, the main reason for this healing miracle and the reason we know it's a, a second uh, event is is and the main reason for it is in the place that it happens in uh, mark's gospel he talks about this miracle this second miracle happening in a place called the decapolis and the decapolis is kind of on the other side of the sea of galilee and it's these 10 cities that are mostly greek speaking and they're mostly made up of non-jews what they would call gentiles these are people who were who weren't part of the people of god as it were so we've got the 5,000 that were fed in a mainly Jewish area, mainly Jewish people. And then we've got this event separately, the 4,000 in a mainly non-Jewish area amongst mainly non-Jewish people. See, it was the Jews that were seen at the time as the people of God. But here we see that others are being healed. Others are being touched. Others are coming to Jesus Others are being fed, and others are praising the God of Israel. And I think it's no surprise that, you know, last week we had the Canaanite woman, didn't we? Who was another part of, um, of the area that wasn't particularly a Jewish area. And this Canaanite woman, this non-Jewish woman, comes before Jesus in this very kind of awkward uh, situation. But actually receives faith and receives healing from Jesus. Um, and, and now we have... Um, this repeating miracle where all people are being welcomed in, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, this gospel, this good news is for all people. I'm welcoming all people in to know me, to be spiritually fed by me, to find life in me. Listen, whoever you are this morning, the God of the universe welcomes you to know him in Jesus. You may be from the UK, you may be not from the UK. You may be from a rough part of town. You may be from a well-to-do part of town. Listen, the God of the universe welcomes you in, in Jesus, this morning. Okay, let's carry on. Let's read a little further in 
We're going to go from the start of chapter 16 now. It says this, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus, and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. As if they haven't, you know, there haven't been enough already. He replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this against, uh, with, among themselves and said, well, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many basketfuls were gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls were gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Then they understood that he was not talking to them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, so we've got this second group of people this morning, these Pharisees and Sadducees. So they were like the main religious groups of the time. And uh, they wanted a sign. They were saying, look, Jesus, perform for us. And then we'll make a decision about you. Jesus is saying, look, it doesn't work like that. That's, I'm not going to perform for you like a monkey. Look, that's not how it's going to work. You know, you, can, you say you can work out the weather. You can, you can look up and see the appearance of the sky and whatever and make a decision. But you can't see what's going on around you. You can't see the miraculous healings. You can't see the miracle of, of thousands being fed. You're not seeing it. And then obviously he goes across... The, the lake with his disciples, and they've forgotten their bread. And uh, he says, look, be on your guard. Be on your guard against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they think, oh, because we've forgotten bread. Because we've forgot- it's because we haven't taken bread on our travels. You know, they're obviously going a bit longer. It's not a short journey. It's a long journey. I've noticed with our Middle Eastern friends, though, any journey requires food. <laughs> it's right, isn't it? If you've been on a journey... With, with, and you're from the Middle East, any journey, and not just like snacks, not just like a few of the snacks that Raj gave out this morning, like proper food. <laughs> Amazing. They, they, they needed food, they needed bread for their journey. And Jesus says, look, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which brings us to our second death. Fungus! Fungus. Look, it's really hard to get three points that begin with the same letter. <laughs> Because yeast, yeast is a fungus. If my friend Paul was here, he would be telling us, because he knows fungus and mushrooms and stuff like that, yeast is a fungus. Yeast, and you know, yeast is, yeast is amazing. Yeast is a, an amazing thing. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, you can, you can put yeast in bread, obviously, and work it through, and yeast, and it rises. It makes the bread rise. It's absolutely amazing. You know, so some scientists are making electricity out of yeast, all sorts of stuff. It's quite an amazing thing, product, whatever it is. Um, but, 
But you know what? Yeast can also be quite destructive. And um, yeast can, when it gets in the air, it can um, affect meat. It can affect cheese. Um, it can affect sugary fruit. It can actually you know, cause it to break down. You can get infect infections in humans. Yeast can cause infections in humans. And, and when the Bible talks about yeast, it normally talks about it in quite a negative way. Um, and it normally talks about it in terms of that living not for God, but living against God and, and actually the sin of the world corrupting us and causing us not to live for God. And that's the point here. The point is that the, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees you know, they thought we're living for God and we're teaching people how to live for God. The reality was they were doing the opposite. They were teaching people how not to live for God and how actually to live against God. Let's have a look. We've got the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were this group that um, I was always taught that, you know, you remember the Sadducees' name by, by the fact that they didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in miracles and power, they didn't believe in the afterlife, and that's why they were sad, you see. You know, maybe you learned that as well. An easy way of remembering, I don't know how that translates, they're sad. Because they don't believe in the supernatural, they don't believe in the resurrection. But also, not just that, actually they were the more wealthier um, Jews and the, the um, religious groups of the time. You know, they were the ones that were in power more. Uh, and predominantly because they had compromised on some of the things they believed to stay in power with the Romans. And then we have the Pharisees. Um, they were more radical, certainly more radical, but, you know, uh, they, they believed actually it was about external obedience. It was about what I could do. It was about the rules I could stick to and keep. And then God would be satisfied with my life. Okay, so we have on the one hand, we have living for spiritual comfort and wealth and power and um, compromising on our beliefs. And on the other hand, we have outward experience, uh, outward obedience, just following the rules and thinking God will be happy with that. And both, Jesus says, are dis disastrous for a life of faith in him. They really are. Both are like yeast and destructive. And do you know what? They're still destructive today. They can still be destructive in our day too. You know, we can be tempted to compromise God's word for comfort, for wealth, for power maybe. And there are all sorts of temptations out there, aren't there? You know, we may be aware of some of them. And maybe, it's the, maybe it's an area like sexuality and relationships. We, surely the rest of the world doesn't believe that anymore. No, no, the rest of the world believes this. This is how we're meant to think in our society today about sexuality, about relationships. No, not, not what the Bible teaches. No, we're taught, we're, we're tempted to compromise what the Word of God says. Maybe it's about what the Word of God says about power and miracles and God healing today. No, 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 we've moved on from that. God doesn't heal today. No, we won't believe that God for miracles will compromise that. We're tempted to compromise in all sorts of different ways. We can also think like the Pharisees, that you know, the godly life is external obedience. It's about what I can do. It's about how busy I can be. It's how I can make God think that I'm doing loads of good stuff and he must accept me because of the things I do. We can have an attitude that says, well, if I just do my best, if I just do my best in life, then hopefully when I die, God will hopefully be pleased with me and I'll just go with that. 
You know what? That attitude can make for a really busy church that's busy. We're full of activities, full of stuff, full of busyness, but there's no life. There's no life in Jesus. Jesus is saying these things, these things can work through our lives, both as individuals and as churches. And Jesus is saying, be on guard. Be on your guard. You know, and I don't think he just says that to us individually, be on your guard. Actually, I think he says that to the group, be on your guard. And I think he says that to us, be on your guard. One wonderful way of being on our guard together in a very active way is meeting with one another, meeting together. You know, if you're not in a small group, if you're not serving in some kind of way, if you're not connected with other Christians in some kind of way, I'd really encourage you to be. It's a way that we can help follow Jesus together. We can encourage one another. We can learn. We can pray. As we were in a Wesleyan building, and uh, you know, it was the great John Wesley who said, the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. You know, the New Testament knows nothing of the, the Christian on their own. We're meant to be called to live with one another, doing life together, being on guard together. Okay, another big thing that um, I think Jesus wants us to understand in this is our final F. Um, and uh, I think he wanted his disciples to understand this. I think he wants us to understand this. He wants it to encourage us and to stir us and to equip us and it's in something he says. Are you ready? Something he says. You of little faith. You of little faith. Does that encourage you? <laughs> Maybe like me, sometimes when you hear that, your heart sinks. You go, oh. You kind of go, oh, right, okay. Well, let me help you this morning, because that's our final F. Faith. That's our final F. Jesus uses that phrase, you of little faith, four times in Matthew's gospel. And uh, you know what? It's shorthand for this. It's, it's shorthand for you of little faith in me. That's what Jesus is saying. And do you know what? I don't think Jesus is saying it in a fed up way. I don't think he's saying it in a harsh way. Actually, do you know what? I think he's trying to shape his disciples when he says it. And I think he wants to shape us today too. See, when we think about faith, we can often think about faith as the quality of someone's faith. And so we think things like, oh, do you know, I wish I had faith like so-and-so. Oh, do you know what? If, if, if I had faith like so-and-so, I would be a much better Christian. You know, look at them. And we tend to look at others, and we almost turn faith into something that we produce from inside. It's something that we produce and we have more of because we've, we've cracked it. We've cracked the secret, whatever that might be. Listen, I think rather than focusing on the quality of faith, I think first we need to actually look at the object of faith. Look, yes, there is something about faith growing. There is something about a measure of faith. There is something about strengthening our faith. But it's where it happens and how that happens. Okay, let's use an example. Um, Andy has always me already mentioned the balcony this morning. Let's use another example of a balcony. Hello, everyone up there in the balcony. Look, if we had, when we moved into this building, if we had been told that the balcony was unsafe, the balcony was, what's the word? Um, hazardous, yeah, that's a good word. 
The, has, the balcony was falling down. The balcony was unsafe to be set. In fact, the balcony was going to fall down any day now, and it was condemned. It's not, okay? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> if, if we had been told that and we'd told you that, do you know what? If you went up and sat there this morning, it doesn't matter what the quality of your faith was. It wouldn't matter. We would not say, well, look at their wonderful faith. We'd be saying, you're stupid. <laughs> you're stupid. Why are you sat up there? It wouldn't really matter how much faith you had, what quality of faith looked like. Why are you sat up there? You're sat up there because you've put faith in the balcony. Maybe subconsciously, you didn't think this morning I'm putting faith in the balcony, but you are putting your faith in the balcony, that it will stay up, that it will hold up, that you'll be safe up there. It's the object of your faith, not the quality of your faith primarily. It's the object of our faith that counts. Listen, what's the object of your faith this morning? Is it like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Is it in comfort and wealth and compromise and external good works as it might be? without no life? Or is it in Jesus, the one who loves you, the one who cares for you, the one who is for you? Listen, this is a, a passage that has always encouraged me, particularly in this. This is what Paul wrote in, the, uh, in his letter to the Galatians in the New Testament. He wrote this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live, get this, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know what? I, I love that verse because I know that Paul could say that 2,000 years ago. And do you know what? You and I can say that as well. I, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You and I can say that. Listen, perhaps you're not a Christian this morning. Perhaps you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian this morning and you're thinking, do you know what? I thought the Christian life was, was like this. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who will love me as long as I keep giving myself to him and doing stuff for him. No, 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 that's totally wrong. It's this, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, gave himself for me. The sign of Jonah, we haven't got time to go into that now. The sign of Jonah that, that Jesus would give himself for you and I, that like, like the Jonah going down, if you know the story, into the, the, the fish for three days and being coming up, Jesus would go down into the grave and on the third day be raised to life. He gave himself for us at the cross. It's wonderful good news. Listen, perhaps you're facing something at the moment. Or perhaps there's something you know in life. I want to pursue Jesus in. I want to, I know he's called me to this thing. It might be in your studies. It might be in your workplace. Um, it might be in your street. I know God's called me to this, to live for him here. Listen, the answer isn't wealth and power and compromise or just good works. The answer is Jesus. And it's faith in him, making him the object of your faith in it. It's looking to him. It's looking to the one who provides more than enough. Jesus provided more than enough in the 5,000, in the 4,000. There was more than enough. He provides more than enough for you and I in the places he's put us. He's equipped us and he's with us and he's the object of our faith. 
Because listen, Jesus is at work in Teesside. That's true. You see, there's one place in the Bible that it talks positively about yeast. And it's when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like yeast. It's like someone, a woman, putting it into a batch of dough. In fact, I've got, I've got the quote, I think. It, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman took and mixed into 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. See, Jesus is at work like yeast. And, and there might be seemingly small things that we do in life, seemingly small acts of faith, seemingly small acts of kindness, or small acts of sharing our faith that seem small to us, but Jesus is working yeast through our communities. And we might think it's a small thing, but actually he calls us to keep faithful to him, following him as he moves in Teesside. Listen, if the band could come up, we're going we're gonna to end by just responding together. Listen, I believe there are everyday faith adventures for you and I as Jesus works yeast and works in our communities. Why don't we just, um, why don't we come before Jesus as we end? Let's just come in prayer and in worship. I don't think he's finished with us this morning. I think we encountered something of him in our worship. We certainly did. And he wants to fill us afresh again. Come, Spirit of God. Thank you, you're at work in our lives. Thank you that we can know that we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We live by faith in the Son of God. Listen, perhaps there are situations you're facing right now. Maybe you're tempted to compromise on what the Word of God says. Maybe you're tempted to um, simply live for good works instead of living with his faith working in your faith and working out through into your life. Maybe there's situations you don't know the way through. Listen, he wants to fill you with faith this morning as you make him the object of your faith. I think he wants us to leave fed this morning, spiritually satisfied, knowing there's more than enough. There's more than enough for those things you're facing this week. There's more than enough for the things that he's called you to and called you for. There's no one discounted from adventures of faith in this room. Listen, perhaps, perhaps there is something you're facing right now and you know I need to 
I need to make Jesus the object of my faith. I need to pursue him in this. I need to know he is faithful. He gave his life for me. I can trust in him in that situation. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come out or anything like that. It's just a faith step of just raising your hand and saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm putting my hand up. So Jesus, we come to you this morning. We're not looking in other places. We're looking to you. Because we know you are faithful. Because we know you lead us through. Because we know we can trust in you. Because we know in you there is more than enough. And we know that we can face all those things that we have this week, next week, in the future, because we can walk with you in faith, knowing you're the one who provides more than enough for us. Thank you. Thank you. You come by your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now and fill us afresh, the very presence of God with his people. Come, Spirit of God, and fill us. Come fill us afresh. You're so good. You're so good. The grace of God to us. It's not based on our efforts, not based on our works, not based on our abilities, but on your grace. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you. Lord, help them to make that step to you this morning. Say, I'm choosing to trust in Jesus. Come and speak to us if you want to find out more about that. But Spirit of God, keep coming. As we continue to, as we finish in a song, we're fixing our attention, our gaze on you, King Jesus. Come on, let's worship. Let's finish with worshiping Jesus.